Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. The 2020 election is officially underway. This week, MSNBC hosted a two-night event with 20 potential candidates vying for the top spot as the nominee for the Democratic Party. This is the Spent the Rent Podcast Debate Recap. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Self-Esteem Boat Willie. My guest today for the fifth time is James Barber. James, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. So love, this Love doing this. Yeah, so this is a big deal because I've been having a lot of people ask me to do video. So this time we're going to do for the first time ever. This is a, be- a special thing. We're going to do video. So if you're watching at home, I appreciate it. If you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, you can go to strpod.com slash video and you can stream an hour the full hour episode it's pretty exciting stuff so james thanks a lot for coming you know i've been hounding you about this because once i knew that there was the debate coming up i knew it would be an awesome episode to cover so thanks again for being here yeah yeah how you doing everybody so msnbc had a two-night event 20 candidates 10 each night there's a few people that are i guess there's five more candidates that weren't even on stage right so we're not even going to talk about those people because they don't exist but uh it was a big deal you know and the coverage has been pretty wild uh we'll get to the winners and losers and kind of a lot of different stuff in this hour so i mean let's get right after it let's do it so the first night i think it was pretty clear cut who the favorite of the first night was maybe not necessarily there's winners and losers, but I think Elizabeth Warren looked more presidential than anybody else. Yeah. She did a good job. She stood out to me. Um, this is coming from, so disclosure to everybody. This is coming from the perspective of a Bernie Sanders supporter. That's true. Uh, I'm pretty vocal about that, but I also like to look at every single candidate. I like to do the research and Elizabeth Warren is my number two choice. Right. Uh, She has been, for most of the whole time. so Right. So for me, I think my number two choice would be Tulsi Gabbard. I'm also a Bernie Sanders supporter at this point. And I don't see that changing. You know, and actually the big winner of the first night wasn't an individual. It was Bernie Sanders policies. Right. So, but we'll get to that in a bit. But my, uh, my number two is Tulsi Gabbard. I don't think she's going to have a chance. You know, it's funny because I think she would do really well in the general. But I don't know if she can get through the primary. Yeah, I kind of get that feeling too. Um it seems like if you're if you're relying on the debates to kind of change your position in the race, then you're going to have to bring a bit more energy to it right. than I think what she did. Sure. And it, I mean, it's early and, you know, there's going to be more, but yep. I just, I know that she's popular with a lot of people, even on the right, you know, but it's just tough. She's, the one thing I, the 
best thing about Bernie Sanders, in my opinion, is that Elizabeth Warren and Tulsi Gabbard would be in his cabinet. Like, yeah. I'm almost convinced that that's the case. Elizabeth Warren could very well be his vice president, you know, and then Tulsi Gabbard could be secretary of defense or secretary, secretary of state, of state yeah. you know, I mean... Uh, it, that would be amazing. And then yeah. Ro Khanna, which is Ro Khanna, if you're not familiar with him, is a congressman in California and he is a representative. And he is, he is, you know, becoming my favorite person in politics because he's good. He's pretty awesome. So, so, you know, the big goofy takeaway from the first night was when I think it was Beto started speaking Spanish. <laughs> and it's interesting. And this is why primaries are not really, I wish. That you had to not, not, I mean, it would be free, but like, if you're not a registered Democrat, you just can't watch it, you know, because it's not for the Republicans. And so, you know, there's a lot of people out now, out there right now that are saying like, oh my gosh, they're going to lose support. And it's like, no Republican is going to vote for someone with a D next to their name. You're looking at the Democrats in the primary, and then you're looking at maybe the, you know, 20% in the middle. So I, I kind of disagree with that. I know Bernie had a lot of support from the Republican side last time, and one of the things that I think um, the Republicans would be looking at if they're watching those debates right. is who who's who's honest up there. Sure. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is who's who looks like a politician who talks like a politician and who talks like somebody that, you know, I, I think I can I may disagree with them, but I can at least trust that they're doing what they say they're going to. do. And that's probably true. I think when I say that, I'm saying it kind of half heartedly right. that, that it's so frustrating that there's a lot of people that make comments on social media that probably don't even watch. You know, they're, they're going to trash them no matter what. And that the primary I mean. I'm guilty of that watching what we called the clown car in 2016, you know, those debates talking about the size of people's hands and stuff were a circus. Yeah. And so I don't want to be a hypocrite. You know, that's something that I kind of, I I'm knowledgeable or I'm conscious of that. I'm like, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite and trash them. And every time that it flips around the power that be the powers that be, you kind of forget how you were before. Right. You know? Yeah. It's easy to do. I mean, you kind of get into the, uh, us versus them mentality. And it's, it's kind of hard to separate from that. Well, and I've even said it, I think on the episode I did with Mayo, I said how politics are like sports. It's like NASCAR always go left, but it's like <laughs> sports in a way that, you know, it's like, there's the first round of the playoffs and then there's the second round and the semifinals and the championship. And it's, it, I kind of regret even feeling that way because yeah. essentially it, it is a spectator sport at this point, which is scary. And it's all about media money and advertising. And I get that's kind of by design. Sure. Uh, I mean, it really helps perpetuate the two-party system. Right. And leaving us with one of two choices who neither one may be acceptable to right. a and number so, of people. But it, I mean, it sucks because essentially what we're seeing more and more of with tribalism is you're seeing people are like, my team is going to win. And it's not even about ideas. So that's one of the benefits of the primary, you know, it's, is it was a lot of ideas, a lot of Bernie's ideas. Yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> you know? one of the great things was seeing, I always like the democratic debates because they're really full of substance. Like right. the, the focus is mostly on the issues and you don't really get into the, uh, the size of someone's junk, the horse race. Yeah. The size of <laughs> someone's junk. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, but I'm not biased enough. Like when I watched Trump in the last debates, you know, he was effective and I was calling it out because we, I do know populist candidates are doing really well. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I've had a lot of people, we're going to get into the winners and losers more and more as the show goes on, but 
you know, I've had a lot of people tell me like who's electable and I'm like, to who? Because the reality is Republicans already have their mind made up. Not all, you know, but a big, I mean, the 35%, the, the Colt 45, I call him, I guess it's not 45%. He's the 43. Well, the reality is the Republicans aren't going to have much choice. Yeah. Uh, the, the Republican national committee is already in embedded with the Trump campaign, right? Like that happened from the beginning. So Trump is going to be their nominee. That's no, no question. There's going to be somebody out there. Right. Um, well, Bill Weld. It, oh yeah. Bill Weld. There you go. Bill Weld just put his name in. He's probably going to be the only one because anyone else that's going to put their name in, it's just going to be superficial. They're going to do career it for suicide, you know, for a lot depending of people. on how they run it. But I mean, cause depending on the state, I mean, the Republican Party, I don't know Trump's approval rating inside of the Republican Party, but it's like 140 percent because people because people are like, I mean, they get down on their knees every morning and they pray to him. But like so and, you know, again, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I I know this is just different, though, because during the times with Obama, people called him. I remember there's Rush Limbaugh was talking about the magical N word. You know, they have this clip that they I think they said Negro. But still, I mean, which is out of control, you know, but they talked about how Democrats would never say anything bad. And that's just not true, because right. I've always been vocal about how he appointed the head of Monsanto to the FDA and how the drone strikes. And, you know, I mean, just the list goes on. Like, I wish people would sit down with someone with differing views and play a game where you're like, OK, I will call out my side and you call out your side. We'll go back and forth because people on the Trump team are incapable of it. Yeah. Because they think the vulnerability, it's like they have to admit maybe there's some question marks with a terrible human being, you know. So let's let's get back. First night, you know, the big thing, there's a couple people that it seems like their whole job is to bring down the Democratic Party or at least. And again, this is for people like me and you that are Bernie supporters, but people like uh, Hickenlooper. I mean, Hickenlooper has no business on that stage because he's not a Democrat and he's not a 2020 Democrat. No, no. But this is the beauty of uh, the primary process. Really, anybody can jump in to the primary. And as long as you got enough support, you can make it into the debates. Right. So it's not up to it's not up to us or whoever, whatever we think the Democratic Party's values are right now. Right. Any, anybody can slap a D in front of their name and run. Right. Um, I was really hoping Richard Ojeda would have been there and i mean people are not familiar with him i don't know he what would happened have been fun he was one of the first people to to say he was running it's like he announced his run for president the day after he lost his race in west virginia right and, and so he did what beto should have done yeah uh, he saw he he jumped in because there was excitement he had a, what he thought was a lot of national support and as soon as you step up to that next level it's like Wait yeah. a second. Yeah. You're not quite ready for that office yet. Well, like, losing, losing. There's a lot of other people that are already supporting other. Losing your folks. state race and then running for office is a questionable move. I mean, at least because there's now there's candidates like Trump and like Marianne Williamson that are and Andrew Yang who have not been elected right. to office. I mean, Trump has now. But, you know, when he ran. And now 16, we have ones like Sestak who lost two Senate races and then just for, prior to running for president. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think Beto is has a bright future in politics but i mean talk people talk about bernie's shtick getting old beto's whole thing about how him and his wife have been talking to bernice in colorado you know or whatever it is you know in el paso and it's this, it's so predictable and and you so know. it's i mean if you're 
if you're uh, inclined to support Beto, you'd probably see those a little bit differently. Right. I mean, it's kind of like uh, people that see Bernie and they hear the same thing from Bernie over and over and over. Right. I mean, if you're paying attention, any candidate you look at, you're going to hear the same things over sure. and over because sure. in their mind, they're talking to a different audience every, every single time. time and they're going to have to repeat themselves over and over. And for people that watch it, it's like, right. oh my gosh, they just say that all the time. Well, yeah, you're watching it from afar. And what they're talking is not necessarily designed right. for you. It's the audience that they're in front of, which is a speech. new audience. Yeah. Right. It's a stump yeah. speech, you know, but I mean, and he closed a giant gap in Texas and Richard Ojeda closed a giant gap in West Virginia. But yep. if you guys aren't familiar with Richard Ojeda, look him up. Cause he's awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, his, he's like, I've had enough or what is this saying? He brings a fire, man. He brings the fire, you know, he's a Marine. And I just really think that could have been good for the stage. That's where Tulsi Gabbard, her experience, you know, we saw that in the Tim Ryan exchange that if you guys didn't see the debates, Tim Ryan made some really good points in the beginning about how the Democratic Party is losing the middle of the country. Yep. The D next to their name, like I just said, is something that people are kind of, you know, they're just they're just frustrated because they feel like they're not represented by that party. And this is where Biden might have some strengths because there is some people that, you know, he's a he's work for the working class. At least they think that, you know, but Tim Ryan made some really good points. He's from Ohio. So yep. he knows that that's his base. That's his he has to win over the working class and he has to t show them again that unions can be a good thing and that, you know, the Democratic Party can be for the workers. I mean, that's that's how they got the 40 hour work week. That's how, you know, and different things that they've had to fight for. But where he got lost was when he started talking about, he started pulling a Rudy Giuliani and he was pulling out the 9-11 Trump card, no pun intended. But like, uh, you know, Tulsi Gabbard showed that you know nothing about foreign relations. She's like, I've been there. And, you know, the whole comment was he had said that Taliban attacked us on 9-11. Right. We stopped paying attention to the Taliban and. She was pretty forceful in, and then, and you know, it's funny because the soundbite world, what she said was the Taliban didn't attack us on 9-11. That was Al Qaeda. And those comments can be twisted though. And you know, Fox news, if they wanted to, could be like, she's pro Taliban, yeah, you know, which is nonsense, but that happens, yeah. but that's a beside the point. I mean, point. He, he did try to correct himself right. by saying that, you know, the, the Taliban protected the people who attacked us. But, and that's but yeah, true. when he first, when he first said it, it was totally not true no and i mean and it's tough in his defense and this is i think where bernie might have struggled also it's a 60 second soundbite right kind of format and a lot of those people i mean i watched some of the coverage afterwards with eric swalwell with tulsi you know she's on on bill maher and they shine in the one-on-one -on -one, yeah you know and a one-on-one -on -one interview is much better like this i've done a couple episodes of my podcast with three four guests it's a challenge to yeah. get to get everything to to make sure that you're moderating right you know and rachel maddow was just straight up rude i felt like a lot of times like a lot of the people but how do you do it you know because people are jumping in you get Gillibrand was was aggressive and then people are like oh she's too aggressive now if it was a man i thought she did great see, I do too. Yeah. i do too because i felt like she brought you have to jump in yeah so the the in that format when you've got 10 people on the stage it's way too many people and it automatically sets up where the favorites are expected to get most of the time and so everybody on the edges is just waiting to pounce and like they have to get attention otherwise they're just going to get relegated right. to the dustbin of history right i mean that's what's going to happen in that format and so you you just have everybody on the outside ready to pounce 
the people in the middle who are the favorites and get the highest polling support, they know they're going to get the most questions. So they kind of just sit back for the most part. They don't need to interrupt. And so it kind of reinforces this uh, narrative that, you know, they're the calm collected. Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. They, they, they kind of look more presidential maybe although if you're on the edges and you get some good shots in it can really boost you so it's a tough format biden even at one point was like i'm done like and you get 60 seconds he's like my 40 seconds is is enough i'm good i'm good you know (laughs) he he said a couple of times oh what my time's up my time's up go ahead move on i don't i don't have anything more to say everybody well it's funny because he's talking with such passion and it's like he just shuts it off as soon as his time was up and so it's like passion, passion, passion. Oh, I for, I don't ever, okay. I don't like ageism and I don't, you know, but I wonder if sometimes he forgets why he walked in the room, you know, you know, and oh, that's a different thing, but you know, uh, well, he struggles with some things. I mean, my favorite part with, from Biden was, uh, the question, what are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do after you become president? Yeah. What did he say? Well, yeah. He said, uh, I'm going to defeat Trump. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Wow. That deed would be done at that point. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. You would think so. Yeah. You would think it's so. It's crazy. I mean, maybe he was trying to chant, lock him up, you know, or something. That's my first, <laughs> when you would, I didn't catch that in the debate and you had texted me that and I, I thought about it and it's like, you know, cause a lot of, I mean, that, that's a new phenomenon where people are like, after I beat you, I'm going to then jail you. Right. You know, which is not America. No. Like, that's not what we're about. And we can get in a little bit to some other examples of not being American, like where Trump is laughing about the meddling in the elections with Putin, which is out of control. That's like, oh, I want to get to that in a little bit, but that might be the low point in American politics in history yeah. where he literally was laughing, like, don't do it, <laughs> you know, and unacceptable. So Klobuchar is another one. Well, hang on. Let me, go before ahead. we get to Klobuchar, let me go back. We we started to mention Beto right. and the Spanish at the yeah, beginning. There's so we, much to go over. moved on, but... Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about there, um, as to non-Latino uh, people or Latina people, um, I think we may view th- view it a little bit differently. I did hear a lot of people uh, complain about it or just view it as pandering. Um, I also saw a uh, breakdown of what he actually said, and you know the person is a Spanish speaker and they went through and basically called out where he messed up what he was saying. And, and he did mess up a couple of parts of the, the Spanish. The Spanish was yeah, wrong. But there's also a recognition that different people speak different sure, ways in sure, Spanish. Sure. And so uh, he could have been using a, um, basically a, uh, what do you call it? Um, a different dialect, kind of like different. Yeah, it's ca- not quite different a dialect. Ca- different but, cadence and different territory. Yeah, yeah. So from different parts of the whole Spanish community or the um, South America, Central right. America, you're going to get different types sure. of, of Spanish spoken. And so the person who was doing the breakdown, you know, they made sure to let people know that. So it wasn't horrible. And if if we put ourselves in a position of uh, let's 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 put ourselves in the shoes of uh, Latinx. If we're up there and we see somebody trying to right. reach out to us in that, it's going to reach us differently, even if it's not 100% perfect, but right. it's going to reach us differently than if we're uh, and, young and white see, males. I don't, I'm not on, I'm definitely not somebody that's like, speak English like that. I, like, I, that's not what I was getting at. But, but also, you know, with politics, you have to, 
kind of weigh risk assessment of different moves. And so I do wonder, and I, I was just saying this, how people are kind of, you're going to lose a certain demographic. I don't know. It's tough. Well, it does because to us, it felt like pandering. Yeah. Right? Not necessarily and, to me, but I knew that's what people were going to perceive it as, you right. know? And that's the thing that was, it was interesting. And then it felt like, you know, Castro and even Booker, I think, uh, Booker first gave him the side eye. Booker had a couple side eye moments, which I, it makes for good memes, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, then they showed, well, I got this too, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. You know, I think it's obviously the immigration thing to some people, it's a humanitarian thing. And then to other people, it's a deal breaker if you cater to it, you know, and it's, that's such a volatile issue right now. Now, Booker, he, uh, you know, there was two times that he choked during that debate. The, uh, one of the times was when he spoke the Spanish, he couldn't quite get it out right. cleanly. Um, and he's usually a very good speaker. So that was why it was surprising. And uh, and that's really why the two chokes, you know, stuck in my mind is because he's a very good speaker. Uh, the second choke was when he had tried to, when he was talking about Big Pharma and their profits. And he choked on the word profit as it was coming out because he was talking about it in a sense that, you know, he's the, he's going to be a champion against big pharma and their which profits, is, yeah. which, which yeah, based on his for. history, yeah. you know, that's a, it's a stretch to be able to believe that. Right. Big time. And then I think Buttigieg, Buttigieg speaks like 72 languages. So <laughs> Buttigieg, I think also got in there with a little bit of Spanish. So Buttigieg, uh, yeah, he did a little bit of Spanish. Um, I think he speaks seven languages, but it, I mean, that, even saying that as a stretch. So really what he claims is he, he knows just a, not even a basic understanding. He just knows a few a few phrases in seven different languages. Right. But he, you know, he can speak more of some than others. But it's not he's not fluent in seven languages. You know, Buttigieg. And I don't means. want to get too off track, but Buttigieg. What I think we we're talking about Beto. I think Beto's optimism and we'll just say Obama characteristics. I think Buttigieg just stole that thunder. You know, because he comes across as more genuine with the same type of optimism. Yeah. And I think that that, because a lot of, during the, the Senate race by, by Beto, it was like, whoa, who's this young guy? You know, that, like he's standing on too many tables, but standing <laughs> on tables. And then Buttigieg comes along on the national media and they're like the mayor. But man, he had, let's talk about his misstep. But I think it's really showing and telling that was pretty awesome, actually. So the situation in Indiana, in South Bend, he's the mayor of. There was a uh, officer involved shooting where an African American man was killed. I don't know a ton of the details by a white officer. Yeah, and then there's been some backlash, and I really encourage you, the listener, to just look this story up. Well, the key parts is is the officer claims that the black man had a knife, but the officer's body camera was turned off. Right, and then you know Swalwell got a jab at him. It's like, why don't you release that? And I think that they had fired one chief. Right? Or so I can't So remember. early in Buttigieg's mayorship, so like almost right away in his first year, I believe, he fired the black chief of police. Right. And ever since then and, and basically the number of black officers went from twelve percent down like, to six percent. Yeah. So there's definitely some uh, optics that don't look right. good. And again, this is a situation you like to you say this a lot, which is good, that we're not to african-american people so we will see that differently and there was a couple moments we'll get to the kamala harrison biden in a minute but that moment an african-american is going to look at that differently and feel differently and feel slighted differently but with Buttigieg, the one thing that i am interested to see how people's reaction is to it is he he said 
So this can be taken both ways. He said, I basically failed in that. And it's a mess and I messed up. And it's interesting because you can look at that like that's, you know, that's a gaffe. Or you can look at that like, wow, accountability. You know, he owned it and he's the, the situation's not done. Yeah. And that's really what he's going for. Right. Um, I mean, at this at this level, um, y- you can't you have a hard time justifying that. And I think in his campaign, he had to he had to decide, am I going to try and justify where we where we're at and what we've done? Or do I just take the lump? Uh, and and come across as, you know, somebody who's honest yeah. and forthcoming. It's refreshing when you see, I mean, I do take him as genuine in that situation because, you know, he's of a, I don't, I don't ever like to compare the African-American experience and the gay experience, but he is somebody of a marginalized group that he has a different take than me and you would have, you know, again. And so I think he has compassion for that that even someone like myself may not understand fully, but I can recognize it, you know, and I have, you know, close friends of all persuasions and that I can, I've, you know, have empathy towards, but he seemed very genuine. Yeah. I mean, so let's, Buttigieg is a very good speaker. Yeah. He's, he comes across as genuine in almost everything that he says. And, and I've got to say, he's, pretty well rehearsed as well so so you have to take it with a grain of salt he is going to be a good politician but that's what good politicians do they get you to believe whatever they say but i think it's too harsh sometimes when people i agree with you but i think it's too harsh when people will will cast off any level of empathy that they have by just being polished oh it's saying it's not genuine yeah and 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 i'm not meaning to imply that sure sure what where the issue comes in is you have a hard time distinguishing what's real and what's not real right and that's where the problem comes in because i i 100 believe that some of that that he says is real there's a couple of part there's a couple of things that he says and I, and we can get to that later but uh where i question it and where to me it's a hundred percent a political answer right and Anytime those come out, it makes you wonder about the rest of the stuff. There's some things that, I mean, in some ways, I feel like he is up with Obama as far as being a skilled orator. Oh, you know, for sure. I think that he learned from Obama, for one. And for two, there's also, you know, he's my same exact age. So that is more relatable. But, I mean, Obama was poignant and was able to come to get people from across the board to to kind of jump on, you know, with that in the beginning. Yeah, I, I get it. I get the best um, feelings when I hear Buttigieg speak. Yeah. You know, he's he's very, very good yeah. at at putting out a, a certain message too. Like he he crafts it really well. He had he had the best answer I've seen, not at not during the debates, but at uh, I think it was a Fox News town hall when it came to uh, second term abortions. Right. Right? Or third third term abortions. Best answer I've ever seen. I don't I don't have it off the top of my sure. head. But I shared it all over Facebook right. because it impressed the hell out of me. Right. I mean, that's the kind of messaging that you need if you're in Democratic leadership and you want to try and combat the poor attacks that come at you from every single direction. That's one of the areas that I see Buttigieg shine. He's oh, yeah. really good. And the, the reality is, is that there's no amount of polishing. There's no amount of backroom planning that is going to get you to show that genuine realism. You know, like a lot of what he feels is is because he has an understanding of people. 
you know, not in my opinion, when you watch him, some of it is being polished. There's no question. But a lot of it, I really, truly believe is because he has a deep understanding of people and people's fears and thoughts and hopes and optimism. And I really believe it. He's, and maybe I'm more cynical because sure. I think all of that is polished. Yeah. But it has to start from somewhere genuine, I think. Yeah. So I do think that he starts off in a better place than than some other people. And so... After he gets polished up, it's really good. I also feel like he's yeah. pretty tough, you know, against uh, maybe not people biting at him, but he's he's been pretty good on the offensive. Yeah. You know, maybe not on the defensive yet. We'll see. But he's got a bright future. I mean, he's 37 years old. For sure. He, I do think, will be president one day. It may not be in 2020, but he's somebody that I don't think is going away. No, that's you know? entirely possible. So, so one, of the, one of the things you see going around on Facebook is... Uh, can he be the first millennial president? And, you know, the question is implying, would he win this time or can he win this time? Um, but but you're if you're a millennial, you're always a millennial. That doesn't change. Right, so right. so it's certainly possible and that like, he could be the first millennial yeah, president. It I, just isn't going to happen this time. I read this probably. thing that said that we need less millennials running for office. And it's like, well, then the future is going to be really interesting with no candidates. Right. Because at this at some point, they're, you know. The, well, the you baby can, it, it is possible will, to skip a generation, but I doubt I guess, it. I guess. Yeah. But uh, so we've got a lot to cover. So I do want to touch on Klobuchar. Okay. You know, Klobuchar, I watched a couple of her town halls early on and I was, for one, Medicare for all is really, really big to me. Seems like she's not for it at all. No. You know, and I mean, Hickenlooper is just against it. He wants to, ah, the socialism thing, but, but Klobuchar yeah, I is wanna, interesting. I want to touch on that. Yeah. Cause, cause Klobuchar, her whole thing is, is that she isn't attacking socialism necessarily, but a little bit. She's also not for any type of like student loan forgiveness or any type of like figuring that out. She, she's somebody that always talks about wanting to work with the other side. Which this is a difficult thing in the 2020 election because what you have is the centrists are in a position where they get to bully people into thinking that the only way to win is the centrist approach, which in the past has failed. So, I mean, I think populism is what's popular right now, you know, obviously. Yeah. And so these ideas, some of them are outlandish and... You know, that's the great thing about what's happening with Bernie's, Bernie's policies is his might seem crazy. And then when like Elizabeth Warren has a policy on student loan forgiveness, it's a little bit more tame and then it becomes attainable. Yeah. So the but, way that I view all of this, it's all about negotiation. Right. So the, the problem that Obama had was he would basically compromise with himself before he would get into the negotiating room with Mitch McConnell. Right. He would he would start off with an ideal situation, uh, Obama would, and then what he would actually take into the room would be a perfectly reasonable compromise position that, that uh, any sane person would see as, oh, that that's pretty good. Okay, let's but do you've that. Already lost but he's posture. already moved. He's already right. moved to the middle. And when he goes in with that, the GOP just drags him to the right from there in order to get anything accomplished. And he did it over and over and over again. And so that was the problem. So the the main issue I see between um, Klobuchar and all the people who try to position themselves as a centrist, as being pragmatic. Is they're going to lose. The, yeah. They've already given up their position. They've already given up the negotiating position. So in their minds... They're thinking, oh, well, if I just go in there with this position that already gives up the idea of a single payer and uh, relegates us to a public option as the best choice, 
you've already given up your position. Right. I mean, you're going to go into those negotiations and you're going to get dragged to the right. So the from compromise there. is that the needle gets pushed farther to the right. Exactly. Right. That's, that's and that's why, what in, happens in, over and over. In my notes, it literally says Klobuchar is a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but anyway, um, we, you know, we wanted to talk about Hickenlooper because this guy is, is hot garbage in my opinion, because he gets up there and he talks about, socialism without having in a 60 second soundbite. And this is why people like this can be dangerous to the party because no one's willing to have the conversation of what socialism means. You know, I had a guest on my podcast, Kaz, a couple of weeks back or months back, and I'm going to have him back. We're going to talk about European politics, but we talked about the differences between socialized democracies and democratic socialism. None of it is socialism for one. Right. So, socialism like Venezuela that they always like to compare it to is like dictator dictatorship with social, you know, there's no upward mobility. There's no capitalism at all, you know, you know? And so these policies, like if you look at the way that Bernie talks about paying for stuff, it's by fair taxes towards the top because they're, they're basically not paying anything. You know, I pay right. more in taxes than Amazon. Yeah, so uh, socialism is the government owns the means of production. Right. There is no Democratic candidate now or in the recent past that has advocated for that. Right. So it, it's it's a scare tactic. Right. The, the GOP has connected socialism with communism, and they just hammer that message over and over because it's been effective. And what I see from Hickenlooper is his... his claim is to say as the democratic party we have to make sure that we have a you know we're clear that we are not for socialism well he's he's bought into that argument from the gop yeah. and he's helping to perpetuate that yeah. like nobody is arguing for socialism so why don't you spend your 60 seconds saying that if that's your concern you know reinforce the notion that nobody here is arguing right. for socialism democratic socialism totally different you know uh, bernie bernie's democratic socialism is the workers own the means of production. Right. Right. Or or at least partially own the means of production. What Elizabeth Warren is arguing for is the workers get a seat at the table on the board. It's leveling uh, so, the playing field. Yeah, it's leveling the playing field. Yeah. It's combating that income inequality. And what Hickenlooper comes in and and what he says his main concern is, is that he's afraid that the Republicans are going to attack us with the word socialism. I know. And then he does it. They're going to do that anyways. They did he, it for eight years under Obama. Every, and then he does it for them. Yeah, you know? he's doing it for them. Yeah. Exactly. The thing. Okay, so one example that I've thought of, and maybe you can correct some of my, you know, ignorance on this. But to me, okay, here's an example of what people perceive it to be. With Medicare for all, for example, it's a payment plan. It doesn't mean that when you go to the doctor, that the doctor is an employee of the government. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? The doctor is still private. You know, the doctor can still negotiate price with the government, essentially. So they're not, I mean, it's like LLCs across the country. I went camping. This is kind of off the point, but I went camping a couple weeks ago and there was a guy that was coming through. We were just at one of the paid spots and the guy's coming through picking up the garbage. And my girlfriend and I were talking and we we're talking about, you know, entrepreneurs and people that start businesses. And that guy is not a government job, even though it's state ran that's paying for it. Right. He just was like, there's a need here. I can create this business. And then the great contract that I could get is the government because it's guaranteed money. You know, even down during down economy, the, the tide doesn't turn as fast because legislation has to shift for the cuts to be had, you know, or whatnot. So for Medicare, I think a lot of times people hear Medicare for all and they think that their doctor is going to be some government doctor. And that's not how it works. No, not you know? at all. Not it's at all. a payment plan. 
And so, you know, we've, you and I have talked about Medicare for all on the show. I don't think it's interesting because we talked about the benefits and the ways that stress levels would go down and mental and dental and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I encourage you guys, you know, watching and listening to go back and listen to that episode. But we also didn't talk about how it would be paid for, you know, and I think that could be one gripe. We will, though. We'll get to that. Yeah, the biggest thing with Medicare is it's a single payer system. That single payer is the government. Right. And it's still all of the actual healthcare needs are met by private industry. The hospitals are private. The doctors are private. The nurses are private. Right. Uh, They're going to have their unions that are negotiating their wages, whatever the case may be. None of that changes. The only thing that changes is that the, the payments will go through the government and the government then does have a lot of weight to be able to dictate pricing. Um, I don't know. So, so they can bully people and that you is can't, the truth. you can't necessarily, yeah, yes, you can. That's, that's the advantage of having the single payer. That's the whole reason for it, right? right. So that you can keep costs down, but you're not going to put all of those people out of business by demanding a price that they can't afford. That's right. just not how it works. No. Uh, somebody has to do the job and, you know, I've, I've, tried to get government contracts before, you know, you go through a bidding process and you have multiple people that put in and say, I can do the job for this much. I can do the job for this much and this much. And the government has to pick one of those. You know, they don't have the option of just starting up their own business. Um, They certainly could if, if there was the will behind the populace to have a a government ran program like uh, the national healthcare system in the UK. Uh, but nobody is talking about and doing nobody that wants here. that. That is not what Medicare no. for all is going to be. Uh, what we've seen what happens with like VA hospitals. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, and that's not what people are talking about. So, so, there, so what it, what we're left with is the government is going to negotiate prices, and it's going to be a price. What they end up settling on, it's going to be something that works for everybody. Uh, there's there's people fear mongering out there saying that you know rural hospitals and poor hospitals are going to go out of business. No, like currently, and this was one of the arguments one of the candidates made. Uh, they said with Medicare for with Medicare reimbursements, hospitals make ninety five percent of cost, and under Medicaid, Medicaid, I think they get like sixty percent of cost, and so the burden to make up those differences and get hospitals profitable falls on the private sector right where a private sector pays 115 percent of cost or 125 percent of cost uh something like that well what we're looking at right now under our current system all those hospitals operate with around a 20 percent overhead because they have these huge billing departments that have to bill to this insurance company and this one and they have to know the codes for this and this and and there's so much paperwork that has to get done just for a doctor to be able to to do his job. Right. And we end up with all these uh, clinics out there where a doctor gets into the medical field in order to be a doctor and they find themselves being a, uh, you know, working in the office covering bill pay and uh, they, they have hardly any time to do medicine. Right. And so under the Medicare for all system, the overhead ends up being 2%. Medicare's cost is 2%. That's a huge savings. And basically those doctors that are currently office managers actually get to go back to practicing medicine and not have to worry about all the billing for everything. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of misleading thoughts on that, you know, and, and we're going to get to that. Let's do an episode down the road. Some of that gets perpetuated in these debates, right? You know, they spent quite a bit of time on Medicare for all. And some of the arguments against it were just not accurate. Um, one of the things that you hear from like Michael Bennett uh, and some others is 
you know, they want to see a, a transition period or they want to see, they think a public option is the best way to go. And there's, there's actually really good data out there that shows that, you know, a public option might do the opposite. It wouldn't get us there. It would actually stop the opportunity to get us there. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that there's just a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of things that are coming out. You'll hear a lot of uh, misinformation. And, and one of the things that I think gets overlooked when it comes to Bernie's responses in the debates, um, but he's dead on is there, there was a lot of money out there. The, the insurance companies are willing to throw millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to lie to the American people to keep something like Medicare for all from happening. Right. So, um, Kamala Harris, it's, it's a, you know, crazy segue, but Kamala Harris destroyed the second night. She was, I thought on point now, full disclosure, if anybody doesn't know her biggest donor is CNN. So, and, and major media, but that's not the point because she passed the eye test. In my opinion, I think she, when she went after Biden again, this is a media circus, you know? So it is, you have to play the room. And as a prosecutor, she has that experience and that backbone and she's tough, but she didn't come across as being harsh. You know, she came across as she played it really well because she played it from not like a victim side a little bit, you know, because it was, that's what her whole argument was that the, the whole busing, do you want to talk about what the situation yeah, was? Yeah. So it wasn't a, wasn't, I didn't get it from a victim side this, necessarily, but from victim, a humanitarian exactly. position, which she is was somebody that was hurt by an action or, you know, so that's what she, that's what I meant. But yeah, she, well, she wasn't really hurt. She was describing her experience where she, she used that system. And if that system wasn't there, she could have been hurt. Okay. Um, she was talking about how uh, Biden's words hurt her. Right. Right. Because she knows that if um, basically the efforts from way back when to stop the, the desegregation and the busing, it would have hurt her opportunity that, right. that helped her to get to where she is today. So I thought she had a great night also. Um, I definitely marked her as the winner because she had a few there was a few major moments that came out. One was when everybody's bickering back and forth. And she said, look, people, people don't want to see, uh, Oh, I forget the, I forget the phrasing she used. I had it written on my notes that I left at home. Uh, but she basically said the people don't want to see us fighting up here. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. Right. You know, that, that was, that was the first big moment that she put because everybody kind of went silent right as she started to say that. And so she was able to do it with the most impact. Yeah. Uh, that was great. She had a couple moments like that. Yeah. She had a couple moments. And then, and then the, uh, the Biden people will call it an attack on Biden. Um, and, and it was definitely something that she had practiced and prepared for. But when she got a chance to, to speak about um, how his words uh, of basically what sounded like, uh, the segregationists from the seventies that he had to work across the aisle from, uh, he had a poor joke saying, uh, you know, they didn't call him or they called him son. They didn't call him boy, uh, which, yeah, just yeah, horrible, just, yeah. horrible optics because you know, the, the black community, um, you know, they they were often referred to from white people as, boys right right even grown and full grown aware, men would be called boys i wasn't and it, and aware of that because nowadays people say like on instagram 
about themselves are like your boy, you know, and, but I wasn't really aware of that until the Jeff Sessions type stuff of that era, you right. know, but that is really hurtful to people of a certain generation. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just it insulting. only directed towards black people, you yeah, know? Right. And so, yeah. So, I mean, she but definitely she, won that, she won came that exchange. Out on, she came out on top. Uh, the things that came out afterward. Um, and, and to me, this just speaks to why she is actually a really good candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, was that she, pre- she prepped for that. You know, she, right. she had that in her pocket waiting to use it. And that's it, what a good debater does. It, you have, right. you have angles of attack against, especially the front runners and you want to bring them down a little bit and right. elevate yourself. And she did that to great. And effect. then you have the flip side where you have the Eric Swalwell, where he's like, pass the torch. Oh, and it just fell flat. You know, it it fell flat because it got annoying really fast because that was his only shtick. Like he just said it over and over. Pass the torque, pass the torque. And he looked pretty impressed with himself (laughs) in saying it. And so that when you're like, I made a funny, like, you know, now we got to remember Swalwell. So my first impression of Swalwell, when I first became aware of him was when he announced on uh, the Colbert show, the late, late night with Colbert. And he called his mom on the show to announce it. And and she was like, okay, she didn't get excited or anything it was it was pretty funny so she's like you're uh, not gonna win yeah yeah yeah. i'm not so my impression of swalwell was never real high to begin with he didn't help himself in that one i mean maybe a little bit he did sound a lot better there than he did on on the colbert show because uh in that one he was just everything was canned nothing seemed like it was um uh, a true emotional outpouring of anything so so there's we don't have a lot of time left there's so much to talk about with these debates that we could go another hour probably but uh there's just a couple things that we didn't touch on like andrew yang and marianne williamson where they just didn't have a chance to assert themselves enough you know and andrew yang is a really interesting candidate and i wish he would have done it because you know for anybody that's not familiar they're still not familiar right and his platform is interesting and is talking to the working class voter about who actually is taking your jobs it's automation and the way that you know talk about socialism he wants to give everybody a thousand dollars you know universal basic income which is a freedom dividend it's an interesting thing that people are like oh my god it's crazy but you look at who pays for it and this is the thing he's not done because there will be more debates before the iowa caucus yep. and he will know now learn that he you know i think they should do a four night and five 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 whatever you know would be would be a better format yeah you know? that would be better uh yang is going to be in the next debates he qualified for the, or he's just about to qualify for the second round of debates also so people will get a chance to be heard i think I was watching him afterward and he seemed he seemed okay with what happened at the debate. Like he he people got a chance to hear him and he's got enough donations to be able to ride it out yeah, and, and get more air. He time. has strong support, especially in the younger community, the millennials, you know, that yeah. I talked to a lot of college kids, college educated or, or college students that yeah, Andrew Yang is their candidate right now. I mean, he's kinda like there's a pocket of people that Ron Paul was really popular with. Where they're kind of free agents, you know, they're kind of willing to look at people for different reasons that are kind of wanting to buck the system and just do things differently. And he pull, and he falls into that position. So his he's kind of a higher level candidate. Like he's not speaking to um, people like Trump spoke to, where it's like at the third grade level. Sure, he's definitely speaking at a higher level where people need to understand. Like he's got a his hat says math. I mean that tells you right there he's speaking to people that you know kind of have a different understanding right. of things. But 
Um, he's got some great ideas. He brings in people from the independent community, the libertarian side, uh, even some Republicans. He's that's kind of where he finds a lot of his support. And, you know, his policies, he's got he's got a lot of really good progressive policies. And he's got some things that are not quite so. But um, I think he's coming from a, a good place. I think he wants to solve the problems. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, so he's he's used to coming up with solutions. Uh, I like the guy. I think he, yeah. I think I think it's I think it's good to have him on the debate stage for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and I just and, wish he would have had more opportunities. One thing is is he's pretty good at messaging. So when he talks about uh, universal basic income, that's something that a lot of people kind of don't understand, and it's kind of connected with socialism. But what does he call it? He calls it the freedom dividend. People are people know about dividends. You know, stocks pay dividends. When a company does really good and they're making money and they want to share their profits with their owners, that's called a dividend. And so that's what he's proposing. And and it's just wonderful message messaging. We've got the richest country on earth and in the history of the world, and the people that own that country, all of us uh, citizens of this country, we deserve some of that dividend because it's kind of coming off of our backs. Right. You know, the profits are being made off of the infrastructure that all of us paid for and the education that all of us paid for. And so it just great messaging. I look forward to seeing more from you. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, we got to wrap it up. Let's make sure we covered everything else we got. Uh, Inslee. We never talked about the big takeaway I have about Inslee is that he's one of the people that's like a governor's better than a senator. You got Michael Bennett. I don't think we mentioned Bennett's got a great policy platform. I agree with a lot, but he just has no charisma. Yeah, no charisma, but he did, he did uh, hit Biden really well on one particular issue uh, where Biden was talking about things that he did recently. And Bennett tied in um, one of those major efforts that Biden's claiming as a, as a victory and how it really hurt everybody. And that was when they extended the Bush era tax cuts to right, the wealthy. Right. They made them permanent. And that was the only thing. That was one of the main things that Bennett brought up, which I thought really added to the debate yeah, because nobody else talked about that. You know, he had a, I mean, he's got great policy and I think he was really positive towards the people. I mean, he called out Biden. Biden got attacked obviously because he's top of the polls and for good reason, because Biden after 2009 has done some decent things before that was pretty terrible. Yeah. So, but so we're going to, I mean, there's going to be more debates. Well, we're going to, I might have you back on him. I'm also talking about bringing on somebody that doesn't have a history with politics so that we can get kind of a, a different approach to it. We're going to have a lot of opportunities. I can't wait to see how this all plays out, you know? And I mean, like I said, there's a lot of people that need to kind of learn from this and then go from there, but uh, it's good. And I, the big, the big takeaway, the biggest winner of the two day exchange was the uh, policies for Bernie Sanders, because Bernie Sanders has changed the conversation to where some of these uh, ideas that seemed outlandish in 2016, but s motivated millions of people are now commonplace. Yeah. So in 2016, Bernie was like the outsider and they tried to paint him as this cuckoo on the left when nearly every policy that Bernie was proposing had majority support among all Americans, not just Democrats, yeah. but among all Americans. And he's still in that position. That's still the things that he's pushing for, things that have support among all Americans. And I think the Democratic Party has kind of woken up because of that, because of his efforts. And now they're kind of getting on board with, oh, maybe we can't play it so far to the right. We need to actually move to the left and start to get behind a lot of these populist policies. Right. Now, what does Bernie say when they ask him, how are you going to make any of this stuff happen? Now, their question is meant to be, you know, what steps are you going to take? How are you going to get 
Congress to vote for this? And, you know, what what things are you going to implement? But really, what what does Bernie turn to? He says, millions of us have to stand up and demand it. Right. That's really how it works. And that's how it worked in the civil rights era and to get women's rights. Uh, everything, every major accomplishment that we had, it's from people standing up. And he knows that. And that's what that's the message that he goes to. It turned a lot of people think that he failed in answering that question. That's not the direction I come from. Sure, you know that sure. he, he definitely answered it 100 percent correctly. And he's not going anywhere because none of those things will pass if people don't stand. He's up. not going anywhere. He's got too much of a of a of a foundation. So as far as if he didn't do well in the sixty sound sixty second soundbite kind of medium, he's going to do better when it's three four candidates. Yeah, you know. So absolutely. Well, the time will tell on how it all plays out. Well, James. Yeah. Thank you again for always coming out and being here for me and being my go-to, you know, for local politics or for, for politics. You know, we do need to have an episode soon about some of the local stuff in Oregon. I didn't want to touch on it today because it's too long of a conversation to have. We were trying to do the debate recap. Yeah, we can't cram it all oh in Oh my together. gosh, there's so much. And, <laughs> and we didn't even get to de Blasio. There's a lot of or, people, yeah. Yeah, there's so many people we didn't get a chance to talk to, which I, I if you if you have not seen the debates, I would urge you, watch the debates. There's some, there's some other people who got a chance to stand out a little bit. Um, right. and, and maybe they'll get more t more time in right. the next debate. And so thank you guys for watching and listening and always remember that you can get merch and all that stuff and become a sponsor to the podcast at strpod.com. I'm going to end it with a song that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. This is a track by Cerebral Cortex and it's a satire, but it's called Classy as Trump. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, James. Thanks, folks. Candy and bumps, champagne and a coffee mug, the happiest drunk. They got Donald on Prozac, acting trashy and smug. Farting processed food, bubble bath in the tub. Said I'm classy as Trump, Confederate flag on my truck. Cut me off on the freeway, now I'm flashing my gun. Would've won the Powerball if I had any luck. Swear I changed the world once I want it badly enough. Yeah, I'm classy as Trump in my luxury car. Deep tissue massages and Cuban cigars. American cheese on my Big Mac, make it a large. I think about starving children. On my mission to Mars I'm so classy as Trump With my glamorized image I say all the wrong things And have all the right gimmicks First world problems Pushing me to my limits Wish minorities would empathize With my white privilege We have losers We have losers We have people that don't have it It only makes common sense I think I am a nice person People that know me like me Probably from the Middle East trying to kill us. I'm really rich. We have people that are morally corrupt. I'm not saying they're stupid. We have people that are selling this country down the drain. Yeah, I'm classy as Trump. Love to party like Mardi Gras. Appropriate culture, treat women like Barbie dolls. Sorry, Mom, but I gotta be a big boy and be classy as Trump with all the big kid toys. Charge them to my card like there's no limit. Hardly vote, but when I do, it's against my own interests. Wave my rights for protection. Now, big brother, gon' get ya. Saying shit like, yelling from around here, is ya? Classy as Trump. Prefer Oxy over smoking pot. The world can go to hell as long as there's some good shows to watch hold my 64 ounce soda pop while i load my clock so i can feel safe whenever i mow the lawn classy as trump though and i got a bad temper spewing hate about blacks autistic kids and transgenders total diva ask any one of my clan members this land is my land's the only part i can remember who likes